Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. This is an audio-only version of a then and now video. To see the full video, search then and now on YouTube. Enjoy. Okay, hello everyone. Welcome to another of these chats. Today I'm going to look at my last video, The Fist of Modernity, start a short commentary series on it that might last a few episodes. This week I'm going to talk about the historiography that underpinned it briefly. Uh, next week or the week after, maybe going to talk about the repercussions today, how we might think of this today. Um, it is then and now, after all. Um, first of all, I will continue the series at some point in the future. Um, I'm not sure when or in what ways. I'm thinking maybe of looking, uh, maybe looking at the education systems of modernity, um, the science of modernity, the pursuit of profits, colonialism. Um, I'm interested, of course, in the ways in which the processes of modernity really subjectify, mould and psychologize us um, in ways in which um, the residue of which even is, is, uh, uh, remains today and still has an effect on our, our lives and societies today. So if you, if you have any thoughts on, uh, on the, any future direction uh, that modernity series might take, please let me know in the comments. Um, excuse me, I've got my coffee. Mm. So let's get stuck in. Today I'm going to look at the historiography that briefly underpinned it. Um, it was based on a, uh, a few historians, um, Clive Elmsley, David Taylor and Vic Cottrell in particular. Um, I uh, credit those in the description below the video. The books are there if you want to have a look. They're all great books. The Vic Cottrell one though is actually a chapter uh, in an edited collection, a very long chapter um, about the policeman's state. That's very influential and worth looking at. Um, <clears throat> but one of the things they all have in common is that they all adopt this framework um, that's come to be known as the state monopolization thesis. Um, influenced by Max Weber's idea of, uh, or definition of the state um, being a community 
um, that has a monopoly, of a monopoly on violence in any given geographic area. Um, these theorists build upon that to argue that during the 19th century, the state grew, um, and it grew in a number of ways. So uh, I think 1967, Alan Silver argued that the 19th century became a policed society, um, and this started this, this, uh, this trend in historiography. Historiography, by the way, being the history of history or the study of history, um, it's a way to differentiate um, between saying the history of something and just the history of the history of something. Um, but yeah, the thing these historians all had in common is that they argued that there were certain processes going on that led to crime being taken out, taken out of the hands of locals during the 19th century and into the hands of a national, uh, usually London-centric or urban-centric elite. Um, another historian uh, who argued this uh, was Douglas Hay, Francis Snyder, um, in their book, they say that, uh, and they wrote a book together, in which they say, quote, the broad purposes of Peel and Chadwick were ultimately realised, and it's incontestable that they advocated a new kind of state power, rationally planned, publicly funded, bureaucratically controlled, centrally directed, and reaching into every neighbourhood which might secrete crime and disorder, Control of prosecution means, in large measure, control of the power embodied in the criminal law. The police came largely to control prosecution. The issue henceforth was to be who controlled the police. Um, after this, Vic Cottrell um, framed it in the 90s as the policeman state. Um, and the essence of it was that the causation of this trend was the commercialization uh, and the industrialization of society across the 19th century, which took decision-making processes out of the hands of face-to-face -face communities um, into a more urban circle of national-looking, resource-based looking, sometimes globalized elites, i.e. modern capitalism. Um, so, you know, that's the historiography that underpinned the research for the video. Thank you for all your comments on the video, uh, by the way. If you haven't watched it, please go and take a look and come back. This will make much more sense. Today, I'm going to briefly look at um, the other side of the argument, a, a critique of that framework for looking at violence and crime in the 19th century. Um, and it's based on an article by uh, Douglas Churchill. I'll leave a comment, I'll leave a, a link in the description below. Um, and he argues that this framework's become dominant, this state monopolization thesis, but it's very, very simplified, and we need to add some nuance in. Um, he argues that to understand crime, especially the further back we go, we need to understand what historians refer to as the dark figure of crime. That's the crime that goes unrecorded in the statistics. And he says the dark figure is so big that just by looking at the state growth in the 19th century, we don't really understand 
how crime was dealt with outside of this. He says there were lots of ways crime that, w that crime was dealt with outside um, of the influence, the circle of the state um, in lots of different ways. So he also says, before we look at that a bit more, that the state monopolization thesis presumes that the power of the state is omnipresent, um, monodirectional, um, is the only game in town, and that the police, the individual members of the police, are what he refers to as slavish automatons of the state, with no room for manoeuvre, with no room for uh, negotiation with either criminals or locals or inst other institutions like the church. Um, and he says if we actually look at, say, how a crime may have been dealt with in a community before it gets to the state, we might find that the power of the state is not the only type of power in town. Um, so he suggests a few areas for further research um, to maybe bring some nuance into the picture. Um, for example, we might look at how crime was dealt with on a community basis in villages, in towns, how it might have been dealt with, again, by the church, by, uh, by groups of families, family friends, by schools, um, or whether there was some you know, back and forth with the police before they decided to prosecute. When did prosecution happen? What's going on with this dark figure uh, over here? Uh, he argues we should look at the press. Um, the press may have had an influence on crime um, and on um, what was worth pursuing as crime by the police, and then what influenced the press. Um, you know, did the public influence the press? And so was the direction of power coming up from below as well as coming down from above uh, from the state? Um, there are things like honour. Um, the duel, for example, was a classic way of resolving disputes without going to the courts, without going to the state. Uh, and there is an interesting study, for example, on knife crime in, uh, in Greece. Um, and dueling with a knife as a way for the working class to resolve disputes before going to the state. Um, so he argues we should look at that. Um, and there were lots of ways in which honour um, um, resolved disputes um, before the courts got involved. This was something that happened time and more immemorial throughout historic uh, societies and cultures. Um, so I find the state monopolization thesis uh, to be convincing still. It is still widely influential, um, but I agree with Churchill that maybe we should bring some nuance in. I think ultimately though, the question is, who are the police responsible to? And they are ultimately responsible to the state, um, to their managers, to the um, to the uh, to the people in charge, not not the community. Um, until much later on, at least, we might problematise that a little bit more uh, today. 
Um, there's also, I also find it convincing because um, you can see across the 19th century um, a broadening of this utilitarian logic that centralizes everything into one master pattern, one big logical plan that's directed mainly by elites. Um, this is what Adorno and Horkheimer argue, for example, in the dialectic, dialectic of Enlightenment, that it becomes so dominant that it sucks everything into its sphere and it, 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 it diminishes and destroys any individual identity, community identity. So rather than the judge of a community having the power to direct uh, uh, justice in the way that he thinks is applicable to that community, you see that judge sucked into the sphere of national uh, judicial law, where there's one rule for everything. Um, so I'll leave it there today. Let me know what you think in the comments. Um, do you think the state monopolization thesis is convincing? Do you think we need to add a bit more nuance? Um, do you agree with Churchill? Um, let me know and maybe we'll discuss it next time. Have a great weekend. Thank you for watching and see you next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.